Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on this week's show, news about Team USA finally returning to US TV, how VAR has had bigger changes than anyone could have imagined, our favourite matches of the week, how sports betting is creeping into soccer, plus we have letters from, from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gather, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnair. Kartik, uh, this year, uh, actually this week, we're, we're actually celebrating 15 years of World Soccer Talk. Uh, I've got the grey hairs to prove it, uh, which would make it about 14 years then for the podcast. And uh, it's amazing. It, it's uh, 15 years is quite a milestone, right? Yeah, that is quite a milestone. And I think it is longer than 14 years for the podcast because I can definitively say I took a road trip from South Florida to Tampa on business in June of 2006. Yep. And you had a podcast that you did with Phil Shane that I listened to on the way. Wow. Yeah. So it's so we're we're almost at 15 with the podcast too. Yeah, it would have been I think like March 2006 and it was one of those things actually I talked to some friends. I was like, I, I don't want to do podcast. And like, no, Chris, you'd be good at it. You should do it. I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm more of a like a, a writ, written word rather than the spoken word. And they and they pushed me. And here we go, <laughs> 14 to 15 years later. Uh, I I can't stop it. But um, but yeah. Anyway, so th- that's 15 years of, of World Soccer Talk, and many more to come. So let's dive into uh, what we've been watching, Kartik. We probably won't spend a ton of time in this section because uh, we've got a lot, uh, some really good um, feedback from listeners, uh, as always, but um, this episode more than more than ever, as well as some news uh, segments. But uh, what for you is bit, was one of the favorite uh, games of the week or, or some of the interesting observations you made? Well, for the game of the week for me, um, <laughs> it was the Aston Villa Southampton match. Yeah. So uh, it's a funny story, right? So I, 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 I'm watching the match uh, uh, seven a.m. Eastern time. I have to go, and, and I think the podcast listeners now know that I was working for the Biden campaign. So um, I have to go to um, a public observation where I'm representing Joe Biden, and there is a representative of Donald Trump, and uh, and, and I had another Biden person with me who happens to also be involved in soccer, and there was another Trump person. So this is a public observation of 
the opening of envelopes. Uh, by the way, the, the voting process is very transparent in Florida. Maybe I know other states are in the news, uh, but opening of the of the uh, mail-in ballots, you see the ballot being separated, all of that stuff, right, for transparency purposes. So um, Southampton scores, well, actually, Jay Adams scored, right, and, and was uh, chalked off. They're up, I, I don't know, 3-0 three, three no when I leave. And, I, and Chris, the problem is fantasy Premier League kind of changes everything. I don't think anybody who knows fantasy sports knows what it does to people. So um, at the supervisor of elections office uh, in Broward County, which is Fort Lauderdale, uh, with the Trump people, with my fellow Biden people, the supervisor is opening the ballots, showing us the ballots, you know, showing everything is transparent. And I keep having to check my phone nervously because I've got also the other thing in fantasy. And I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast. I'm overly reliant on guys on these two teams specifically. <laughs> so I'm checking in like every moment the thing is changing. Oh, you know, Vestergaard got a goal on a header, which was great. And he's on my team. But then they concede a goal. And then Watkins. And then, oh, well, and I lost so many points from Maddie Cash and and. And and uh, uh, Kansa uh, and Mings, uh, the, the 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 back line. That I mean, this was just epic for me. Checking my phone, and the Republicans thought I was, you know, checking my stock prices. And I went to, <laughs> you know, it's fantasy soccer. Um, so yeah, yeah, that match will probably live in long term memory for me. And it was also. Uh, look, Southampton, I said before the season, I think I said it on this podcast, I thought maybe a top six side. I looked really silly after the first few weeks, but they um, they were they, they're, they're now playing like a top six side like I expected them to. So um, that was a big win for them. Yeah, but uh, you got Danny Ings out for six weeks now with yeah, that, uh, that, that knee injury. But it was unusual, though, too, because that was a Sunday morning and it happened to be that both of those games on the Sunday morning were back to back uh thrillers at, at the end i mean southampton going up 4-0 and then uh, aston villa coming back and, and almost tying it up but but losing 4-3 and then the newcastle everton match newcastle going 2-0 up and looking like everton was out of it uh everton pull one back and then in the, in the final seconds of the game it looked like looked like uh, everton could have equalized in this one but uh and then that, that was followed by man united against arsenal which was the uh, the showcase match of the day. And it was, to me, the most boring match of the Sunday that I watched. Just really turgid is probably a good word. Just very, very, very uneventful and uh, not a lot of opportunities uh, in scoring on this one. So let's finish up the, the day then, because that that's comes to my observation about NBC. So uh, then Peacock picks up, and I'm I'm at this supervisor of elections office dealing with this stuff for Biden. By the way, uh, I know politics on television; everybody hates each other. I get I get along great with the Trump people that I'm that are on the opposing side of this. So it's a collegial thing. I mean, we're we're fighting for our sides, but so I'm there until whatever time I get back in time for Brighton Spurs, which was. Brighton is so good to watch, and you you you've had a team. You support a club that Grand Potter has managed, so uh, I'm sure you can appreciate the the aesthetic quality. I mean, I've fallen in love with watching them the last few weeks, but they can never get a result. Uh, and that's right. really so unlucky. Thing. So unlucky. But then after the match, I was shocked to see Robbie Earl hosting 
and Tim Howard as a, a, a as an analyst. I, I, maybe Rebecca Lowe had a flight she had to catch, uh, probably because well, of the late kickoff. Well, that yeah, that caught me off guard too because like like Robbie started it by saying that uh, this is the second week in a row. Rebecca's not here. Don't worry, uh, no scandals. It's just that she has to leave early to catch a flight to go to go back home. Which with the games on Sunday, with that late game, you mean that, that we're used to that now in the Premier League, right? That the two fifteen kickoff yeah. I think, or, or three fifteen kickoff off um that game goes into the evening i mean east coast time and probably there's probably one major flight that she takes to go go back home to the west coast or wherever she's uh, she lives so strange though right i mean it's, it's kind of weird actually robbie earl did a great job hosting but it's still a little bit strange seeing that happen you would think you know, I mean, that she would live closer to the studio and that they'd be able to figure something out because she is the the main I mean, the main person in the talent. Right, and you don't have an Ahmed Farid or Lee McHugh to bring in uh, in mid midstream, basically, right? Because this is in the middle of their programming block to host. But I have to say I, I liked it because I thought um, Tim Howard seemed more comfortable. And, you know, as the weeks go on, and this is the observation I want to make here, Tim Howard doesn't have a good television presence, right? They've lost a lot from Kyle Martino in that. But he's... He's saying some interesting things. His analysis isn't cookie cutter. So maybe in time, his media presence, his comfort comfort in front of the camera, his disposition will improve. Because I think as I listen to it, and you have to focus exclusively on him in that situation because Earl is is doing the hosting. Uh, I thought he was quite good, and he said Mm -hmm. said a lot of interesting things. And then also maybe it's, again, we've, we've talked about this on Peacock. They're expanding kind of their their tactical analysis and and, and their general analytical side uh, when it, the matches are on NBCSN it's just an infomercial fest and and frivolous stuff they're talking about like tea and and, and such yeah he he's gotten better for sure and uh it's one of those things he's never going to be a Kyle Martino he's he's a different type of person I mean as we all are and uh you I mean so his style his analysis uh what he sh- ads and shares is going to be different than Kyle. So in, in many ways, it's not fair for us to compare him against Kyle Martino. Um, but he does he does make good points and uh, he's growing on me. He's, he's, he's getting better, which, which, is, uh, which is good because, I mean, a few weeks ago, I was like, it's just not the same with him in the studio. Just that that, that, uh, that chemistry isn't there. And, and that's starting to, to develop. And, and maybe in some ways, actually, Rebecca not being there, maybe that helps um, Robbie Earl and Tim Howard develop that chemistry a little bit better also. Now, Kartik, uh, going, I mean, speaking of uh, that, that game on that Sunday, that Spurs against Brighton game, um, just an observation, right? I mean, VAR, before, we got, before VAR happened, this was something that the Guardian podcast, Football Weekly, uh, Sean Ingle especially, for years was going on and on. This is going back like probably like, what, 10 years ago. We need to have video technology. This is something that uh, the game is being ruined because we don't have um, this technology to show what's happening in, in games and, and I mean, bad decisions are being made. Teams are losing, um, and I mean all the reasons why that uh, uh, video technology should be something that ad- should be added to the game. Now that it's been added for what a couple of years, and it's going through its iterations, 
You mean rules are changing slightly, but uh, it's being tweaked. But the one thing that came out of this Spurs-Brighton game, just as one example, and it's not just this one game, it's many, many games, including my beloved Swansea City and and many other games I've watched, but in the Spurs-Brighton game especially, is that VAR has changed the way that this game is played in that forwards are now trying to deliberately cause a defender to foul them in the box because they know that the VAR officials will go ahead and review the incident to see if contact was made. So from this past weekend, especially in that Spurs-Brighton game and, and other games, it, it happened a few times where with the strikers, um, in this in this case, uh, Harry Kane, uh, trying to make slight contact with defenders. And the forwards are trying to create contact where it's almost impossible for the defender to pull out of it. So it's it might be a 50-50, they're going for the ball, and normally, I mean, probably maybe both of them would, would, would bang into each other. But Harry Kane and other players too, uh, other forwards, are purposely getting in front of the defender, knowing that contact will be made, and then drop into the floor, knowing that VAR will go ahead and, and review that incident because the referee probably yeah. didn't see it in slow motion or didn't see it because he's watching the ball. And this was a perfect example of why I think in many ways the VAR technology, it's getting harder and harder for the ref, not, not, not just the referees, but also the defenders. It's changing yeah, the game. Yeah, and I'm going to say this about that specific incident, okay? And I know uh, people who follow me on Twitter know Adam Wallana is one of my favorite players. So uh, in full disclosure, he was the defender involved here. Uh, he's not a defender, but he was the one defending. Um, but he, uh, he, he positions himself perfectly, Chris. And right. Kane then flops, for lack of a better term. And, 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 and also, you could argue the foul was outside the area. Um, so I, I was really frustrated by this. And then uh, I, I know you're probably going to continue with this. But the only thing I can say positive about VAR in this match is that there were so many bad calls both ways that involve VAR that maybe it even <laughs> it just is like right. I, 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 could, I lost track, right? There were four maybe, four strange decisions. Well, I, I mean, these days, whether it's Champions League or any games, there's so many decisions that are made that you look at the the video, you know, the replay of the incident, and you go, there's just the slightest of contact. Yes, there's a slight contact, and the forward feels the slight contact, and then drops and then dives or drops or falls down. Knowing that, you mean, that's, that's the point it's gotten to, where knowing that nine times out of ten, that will be called as a penalty. And in that one with Harry Kane, where he backed into Adam Lalana, it's a 50-50. They're both going for the ball. He backs into Lalana, and then Harry Kane falls down. And Harry Kane knows that Adam Lalana's there. So he's initiating the contact. He's initiating the fall. And he's initiating that VAR will review the incident. And and it does take take away some of. I mean, if you're a Spurs fan, and this is nothing against Spurs, but if you're a Spurs fan, you're you mean high five, and this is great. But it changes the game in a major way. And I think this is something that uh, Sean Ingle from the Guardian podcast and many others that were calling for VAR. I don't think we anticipated this to to this degree, and um, I don't see any turning back. I, I don't see VAR being removed. And uh, I, I really feel sorry for the referees because even looking at, um, I mean, it, looking at the VAR or having going to the monitor and seeing the actual incident replayed, 
uh, over and over again, and you're going, okay, yes, there's slight contact, but is that really a foul? And you know, it's almost, I would almost imagine, love it to happen, Kartik, that we would go back for just one game or maybe one weekend and say, you know what, let's go back to uh, old school soccer rules, refereeing rules from, say, like, like, say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago and allow contact. And, and yes, if a, if a player purposely fouls a player in the box and it's night and day, 100%, that's a foul. Uh, you mean call it as a penalty, but if there's that, that slight contact, play on. It's never going to happen, but I would love to see it in one weekend. Yes, it would be more physical, but you'd know that a penalty was a penalty. Yeah, and, and actually, let's see if we have that data, if there are as many calls that that supporters and managers, it's and the managers will always find something, right? But supporters go on and on about as there are now with VAR. I'd, I'd love that experiment. Just one weekend, pull it out of the Premier League. <laughs> I wouldn't say this about the Bundesliga or Serie A. They do they do a better job with VAR. Um, but let's pull it out of the Premier League for one weekend. Let's see let's see how it goes. Well, in, in a way, though, too, like Major League Soccer to me is probably closer to that old school style of refereeing. Where you I mean I watch a lot of games. The league as a whole is a lot more physical than other leagues, and it is very different. The way it's played, the way that referees will let things go and will not be blowing the whistle every two minutes. You mean they'll let things slide, and you've seen whether it's, uh, I don't know, Gonzalo Higuain throwing fits, going like, this is ridiculous, I just got fouled in, in, in the box, I got fouled wherever, and the referee waves play on. So, so, so in some ways, Major League Soccer has a... a kind of a, a plus in terms of watching that league is that uh i mean yes it's more physical and sometimes it's less attractive but um i mean it, it does flow a lot better and and the var the usage of var is is, is done much better than uh, most of the other leagues that are in action these days two more things content i just want to throw out there as far as some some of my observations and i agree with you as far as the aston villa southampton game that was my favorite from this past weekend but Something interesting, and I'm not sure if you've noticed this or if uh, some of our listeners have noticed this, but I find it interesting that gambling has entered the vernacular a lot more in the soccer coverage world. Uh, We're hearing and reading it uh, about it a lot more in the United States. For example, Taylor Twellman, Stu Holden, and others, now you see them tweeting about the odds for games on social media or mentioning mentioning it during a, um, I mean, maybe it's a halftime or pre-match analysis, talking about the odds, talking about Las Vegas, talking about, uh, you mean, the odds of who's going to win the game and what the odds are. Also, CBS Sports HQ in the coverage of the Europa League and the Champions League, uh, it's a lot they're very much focused on, on soccer gambling. Uh, they've got interviews and an analysis with uh, soccer gambling experts. You've even got Jimmy Conrad, who's been hired as a soccer, soccer gambling analyst. And then NBCSN with the Premier League, they've got a, um, a betting sponsor now. And if you look at the ticker, um, it, it includes the odds for the Premier League matches. Now, it's a sign of things to come, obviously, as um, sports betting uh, starts to happen across the United States. It's a, it's a state by state right now. But for you and me, Kartik, living in Florida and uh, not being involved or not, 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 not betting is not, not, not legal in this, in this state, 
it just seems a bit weird, right? Or, 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 do, or do you disagree? I think it's really weird. I mean, I think it's um, it, it's something that changes the way you analyze things, and it's it particular, and it, it's probably happening in in American sports also. Uh, if we watch those more, we would know. But it's definitely taken a hold in 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 soccer coverage, and it's even taken a hold in soccer coverage in terms of the tickers, in terms of the apps, where the first thing you see are the odds or, or some sort of gambling related statistic. And that's uh, that's entirely new. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if it's information I process that will help me uh, analyze the match because it might be some because it's so stats driven, right? Gambling that it might be something useful. (laughs) I I found playing fantasy. We talked about fantasy in the opening thing with the Villa uh, Southampton game. Uh, There's a lot of it that's annoying. I mean, it frustrates me when I think Johnny Evans is the best uh, center back on the pitch, his best player on the pitch, and, and gets uh, not ne- negative two fantasy points because Lester gave up two goals or something like that. But um, it ha- there are certain things in fantasy that have helped me kind of process who's doing what a little better. I don't know if the gambling stuff does this yet. Uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't, but I don't know if it does, which means if it doesn't, it's useless for people like you and me. And uh, I, I will probably get to a point where I get very annoyed with it. Yeah, I think it's useless for people like you and me. Uh, the question then is, who is it useful for? So uh, does it attract a lot of new uh, viewers to those games that may not have been interested as much in the past? Just like with fantasy soccer or fantasy Premier League or some any, any of the fantasy games, does it pull in a new audience? Um, the other thing too, I, I mean, I mentioned, does it feel weird? I think for most people outside of the United States, I mean, that uh, have moved here or have lived abroad a lot, uh, for them, it probably doesn't feel strange. It just, for me, watching it, it's, um, I notice it just because it seems so different. I mean, whether it's uh, Taylor Twelman again or Stu Holden or, or, you mean, Jimmy Conrad or whoever it is or CBS Sports HQ talking about it more intensely, um, I think it's it, it's basically a move for the future. It's trying to really get ingra- uh, ingratiated within talking about betting and getting the the viewers used to having um, those places be or, or those those talent be people that they can speak about betting and odds and things like that. Um, it, it, it's just a little bit um, a little bit different. I'm not, I, and it's been a slow trickle over the last maybe year or so that that uh, we've seen more and more of it. Um, but yeah, maybe uh, listeners, if, uh, let us know if you've noticed that too. One more thing, Kartik, as, as far as observations from this past week, and that's CBS Sports HQ. Uh, for those people who haven't watched much of their pre-match coverage, because it usually starts about an hour before the London crew does the um, the CBS All Access. Uh, pre-match analysis, but um, it's getting better and better um, with Poppy Miller, uh, Ian Joy, um, Demarcus Beasley's gotten a lot better, and then uh, Luis Garcia, the former Liverpool player. Really good chemistry together, and uh, oftentimes they have some g- uh, great interviews. Uh, Jesse Marsh, uh, Sergio, uh, Serginio Dest, um, and many others too. So if you guys haven't checked it out yet, it's uh, cbssportshq.com, so um, I've been enjoying that. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, so Peacock has announced that it has uh, 
almost 22 million users, but it's not clear how many of them are actually paid subscribers to the Peacock Premium. I think this also includes Comcast people like you, Chris, versus how many. So we don't know what the breakdown is between paid subscribers for, for, for Peacock Premium versus uh, who are getting it for free. Uh, this number has exceeded per what they say, uh, NBC Universal's expectations, it's still significantly lower uh, than the number for Disney Plus, by the way, which I guess would be considered the, co- the competition for Peacock. Definitely. Now, in last week's episode, we talked about uh, T-Mobile's uh, new streaming platform called T-Vision. And now that the newness of T-Vision has worn off a little bit, it, it launched last weekend, um, a little bit of a more insight and perspective on that one. On closer inspection, it's interesting because... There's no free trials, so you can't really test it or give it a test drive before you go ahead and buy it. And then the other factor, too, is that uh, something that uh, we missed in last week's podcast is that there's no CBS. So for soccer fans specifically, I mean, it's not as much of an issue right this second. But uh, with NWSL games um, and also, of course, Champions League and other games, probably more so next season, there'll be more on, on CBS over the air but no CBS on, on T-Vision from T-Mobile quite yet. And in other news, uh, Pay-Per-View is returning for the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers round three and four in November. Now, if you remember, the first two rounds in October uh, were such a success that the games will continue to be available live via Pay-Per-View for $30 per game. Uh, all the games are exclusive to pay-per-view except for two games, two matches, and those are Venezuela against uh, Chile, which will be on uh, either Bean Sports or Bean Sports Extra. It hasn't been decided yet. And then the other game is uh, Paraguay against Bolivia, and uh, that game is going to be on um, Fox Deportes in Spanish, and then the Fubo Sports Network in English, which is uh, Fubo TV's. Uh, streaming channel that they have available and it's usually that one's available through Fubo of course but uh, also through I believe I think it's through Pluto TV which you can get for free Uh, one last news item Kartik this is a big one it's been almost a year since the last time the US men's national team uh, played a game during a FIFA uh, international break window and uh, they've got two games coming up Uh, they're playing um, Wales November 12th and I believe it's November 16th, they're playing Panama, uh, two friendlies with um, with, with their uh, European-based uh, U.S. men's national team players. Both of these games are going to be on FS1, Unamas, and Tuduene. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see, Kartik, because it's been so long... I mean, I think there's a lot... There's definitely pent-up demand to watch U.S. men's national team... Um, but then again, right, um, Pulisic is injured. Uh, there's a lot of question marks. I mean, what do you? I mean, what do you imagine that we'll take away from these games? <laughs> I don't know because look, there's so many guys that have also, I think, emerged as um, as guys that should be in the team since the last time the U.S. has played. I mean, I think about Chris Richards, who, uh, Chris Richards, who's played a several first team matches with Bayern uh, to this point still doesn't have a U.S. cap. Uh, I'm blanking out on some other guys, though, that uh, also that have really kind of emerged recently uh, that, that that haven't played much for the U.S. Uh, 
Anthony Robinson's a guy that I think had been written off by Greg Berhalter. He's now starting in the Premier League. So I I don't know what we're going to see or who we're going to see. I mean, I, I guess the, the two guys we'll see are McKinney if he's – uh, if he's able to, uh, he's obviously had some health problems and then, uh, Tyler Adams. But beyond that, um, it, it, it's a great mystery to me. I mean, Josh Sargent scored this past week for Werder Bremen. So that might be good, but do any of these guys move the needle? Do any of them generate the interest that will make a two U S uh, that will make a U.S. men's national team friendly in Wales compelling to the viewer? Um, After a year of not playing, I I don't know. I mean, there's going to be some curiosity, but has the U.S. fan base shrunk so dramatically? The U.S. men's fan base, I should say, not the women's fan base, the men's fan base, so dramatically in the last couple of years. Chris, as we've talked about on this show, observing the television ratings for the men's national team, particularly in non-qualifiers, that maybe it'll just be a blip. Maybe it'll be like uh, uh, any kind of like random international match that's on uh, in the middle of the afternoon during a November international break. Maybe that's all it'll be. Well, yeah, I guess there's two ways to look at it. I mean, one way is that the hype is is pretty high. So whether it's Weston McKinney, whether it's Gia Reyna, uh, Tyler Adams, uh, Christian Pulisic, if he was uh, actually fit. Oh, yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, right. so, so you got, you got several young and up-and-coming up players that during the last, what, nine months, um, especially in the Champions League, have been played up big time, right? So you've got everything from uh, CBS uh, Sports, uh, doing segments about these guys and, and really focusing on just whether they have an assist. You mean, or, or uh, Weston McKenney, he had a, a dummy today, which led to a goal for, for Juventus. You mean, it's it's a lot of uh, micro analysis on these players. So the hype is built up. The reality is that these players haven't played together um, at that, um, you mean, at the U.S. men's national team senior level. Uh, this is a team that's very, you I mean, if you remember back to like, what, nine months ago to a year ago, I mean, the morale was at such a low because this team was playing really poorly, was very, uh, I guess, dysfunctional. I mean, not, I mean, Berhalter, of course, having his style, his vision for how he wants his teams to play. And yet the players, it's going to take time to, to get to that level, even if they can play at that level. So I think in many ways, I think with it being Wales and with it being Panama, these are two uh, oppositions that the U.S. men's national team should do well against. Uh, it's it's kind of a kind of a comparative level, so it'll be competitive, but not too overly competitive, uh, where, where they'll look bad. And and they need games together. They they need Berhalter has to figure out. You mean how this team's going to play? Uh, these players have to figure out how to play together. And I think these two games would be a good uh, litmus test. The challenge is, though, because the hype is so high, because it's been so long since the U.S. men's national team has played some really kind of you know, high-level, uh, relatively high-level friendlies, is the expectations are high. So if the U.S. comes comes out of these games with, I don't know, uh, a nil-nil draw and uh, I mean a one-nil victory or one-nil loss, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of um, negativity out there because because we've been waiting for so long. You mean can can the U.S. Uh, actually deliver? 
there's negativity with the U.S. fan base uh, at all times. So if the U.S. Uh, uh, beats, a, beats a good Wales team that's qualified directly for the Euros uh, next uh, – well, uh, yeah, yeah the, the Euros, right? Um, and and uh, whenever it ends up being played and, uh, and, and a Panama team that obviously uh, qualified ahead of the U.S. for the World Cup, I, I, I think it would be a pretty strong statement. But there seems to be – American fans uh, seem to have – the, the, this need to, 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 to critique the play, the, uh, play based on style. And then when you actually have a stylist as the manager and Burhalter, then they critique the team for lack of pragmatism. So you can't win. They're going to critique the team anyway. And I think that this, uh, for the new players that, that are into the cycle now, since there hasn't been a, really a competitive match in a year, there hasn't been a competitive match in more than a year, but a high-level friendly, uh, I, I hope they just tune this out because I, I I think the U.S. men's national team fan base is the downfall of the U.S. men's national team, and I hate to say that. I've come to that conclusion over the last couple of years. I mean, they they anything they do isn't good enough. Anything the coach says isn't good enough. Any anything the commentators say about this national team isn't right or isn't good enough. It's a very strange supporters base, and it's different than the people who support MLS and USL teams. Quite honestly, so uh, I think it's it's going to be a. a challenge for Burhalter because there's going to be criticism regardless. Yeah, I mean, historically speaking, Kartik, um, the expectations among U.S. men's national team fans, for the most part, have always been very high. I mean, even even going back to the 80s, the 90s, I've lost count of the number of conversations I've had with people where they've approached me and said, hey, Chris, when will the U.S. win the, win the World Cup? You mean, and, and, and that's kind of the expectations, right? To win the World Cup. So, I mean, and the reality is is that all the other major nations around the world are thinking the same thing too, except that, you mean, many of them have won, won it. Many of them have gone very far in the tournament. Many of them have produced the goods. And I think where we're at right now is that that's the question that's still in the back of people's minds. I think even Beralta mentioned something about, uh, or was it Jamie Carragher was joking about uh, the US winning, winning the World Cup recently? I think that's, that's the goal uh, when they interviewed Berhalter at halftime, I, mean, I, might, I might be misremembering that, but it's something along those lines. That's the question that, that uh, always comes up for a country of this size, for a country, I mean, in terms of population, a lot of talent coming through the system. The potential is always there to think about, dream about uh, winning the World Cup. And the reality is it's very difficult. The reality is it's it's not as easy as that. And I think that's part of the, the problems too, Kartik. And, and, and you're right, is that... Uh, the ultimate downfall of the U.S. men's national team, historically speaking, has been that the I think the expectations have been so high. So I guess we'll find out in the next uh, couple of weeks where those expectations, even if we should bring them down a few notches, because uh, my concern is, is this team hasn't played together in a very long time in high level friendlies or even matches. And they don't have a lot of time. They haven't played together. And um I'm not expecting much, but um, I'm hoping that I think Berhalter maybe uh, at the end of the day, Kartik, it's all about winning. I think if you if you're winning games, even if the style is not good, I think for the most part, most U.S. men's national team fans are happy. They just want to see success. All right, uh, let's move on to TV ratings. We won't go into depth on this one, um, but um, the high point last week was 766,000 people tuned in to watch Liverpool against West Ham United on NBC on Saturday from 1.30 to 3.30 uh, Eastern time. Uh, the big game on ABC, which was uh, Philadelphia against Columbus. This was on uh, last Sunday. 
uh, Major League Soccer game with uh, definitely uh, Supporter Shield uh, implications in this one and uh, on ABC. And this one had 283,000 people. Yeah, it's not good. But again, it's against NFL at the same time as NFL games. But um, I don't think that should be. And an also excuse. the second half of uh, I, I mean, I did check out after I was after the curiosity of Robbie Earl and uh, hosting. Uh, I did check out the end of this match, but it was alongside that Premier League match on Peacock. I don't know if right. that impacted it, but uh, the Brighton, the Brighton Spurs, Spurs match. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, actually, I mean, I thought this broadcast was pretty good with John Champion and, and Taylor Twelman. And uh, I it had. Look, this is why I, I I don't like MLS pushing their season and ending in October and then trying to get the MLS Cup done by mid November like last season. This is this was like fun the second half because it was cold in Columbus. There were all these implications in the match. It was a regular season match. It had this feel that we're now losing because MLS has tried to contract their calendar. So it reminded me of what we used to have a couple of years ago before MLS decided they wanted to get the entire season done by the middle of November. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. And first up is Raymond. And Raymond says, I want to thank you and Kartik for the work that you guys do. I listen to the Total Soccer Show a lot, and it's sad what happened to Daryl Grove. It puts things into perspective. Thank you for bringing joy to my life in this crazy world we're living in. Next up is Tim Keane. And this follows up, Kartik, on, uh, I think you mentioned last week on the podcast about some uh, issues trying to get Peacock working and trying to, on your phone and trying to download it and all that stuff. So Tim Keane says, can Kartik explain why is he trying to download to his phone while driving? Surely that is not only against the law, but also dangerous. I did watch the CBS Champions League multiple game show and found it really bad. For me, the continuity of, of a game is important, and I'm not interested in some matches. Let's hope they return to the single game format. Yeah, so um, uh, good good point, Tim. It actually was me trying to do it at traffic lights. And like I said, I left the elections office and we're my uh, soccer uh, journalist colleague, Neil Blackman, was also representing the, the Biden campaign uh, at this meeting. I ran out of the meeting, first tried to do it in the parking lot, and then it wasn't working, got to a traffic light, tried to do it. But yeah, when I was driving, no, I didn't do it at all. Um, that, that, that's a good point. I should have been more a little more specific about that. It was when I stopped the traffic lights that, that, that I did it and at stop signs. All right, next up is Alex. Alex says, I have, I have been able to get all the Roku apps for Peacock, CBS, All Access, and ESPN. I have to say all have good and, and bad things that could be addressed. Right now, CBS, All Access is my favorite, but does have problems. ESPN needs more work. CBS did it right with having Champions League and Europa League uh, in its own tile to select from, Which, but, but I would like each round to be separated also like how they cut out halftime so I can watch more games without knowing the scores for the games on replay. Uh, Peacock has a watch list button, which I like. It would be nice if they added a way to go to uh, Premier League channel and integrate NBC Sports Network so I don't have to jump around out of the app to watch the other games. ESPN is very clunky to me. I hate um, when I turn... On the app, I get the MLS uh, game score right off off the bat on that homepage, which then turns me off from watching it. Then when I go to the Bundesliga, it just has too many lines of content to go through to find the live and replay games. 
plus both ESPN uh, Cable and ESPN Plus are in the same app. I have to keep reusing my sign-in um, if I have to, if I have not watched a cable game. Plus, I have found that if I start a game on one Roku, it does not save where I stopped, so I have to fast-forward to that spot. And with every click being 10 seconds, it's a lot of clicks. Uh, plus, it's uh, it would be nice to know when a game is going to have pre-game attached to it. So all good points there by Alex. I think it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, I think um, and it's hard to please everyone, right? So some of those things are things that uh, Alex likes. Some of those things are things that you know, some of the users may not like some of those features. So, But they're all definitely good uh, good problems to mention. And uh, hopefully it's all, all a work in progress too, whether it's ESPN, whether it's Peacock, whether it's CBS. Uh, etc is that they're constantly fine-tuning improving these apps to make them more of a uh, a better use, user experience and, and and netflix is a, is a good example netflix you mean most popular streaming service out there and um i get frustrated sometimes with netflix some some of the i'm trying to find something i don't i know it's there and they've changed that design so many times that uh, it is quite different than what it used to be um, but I guess I guess they're looking at the stats, right, and probably seeing maybe improved, um, I don't know, watch times, etc. Next up is JB. JB says, question for the pod. Any idea if the rights for the Irish Premier Division in the US have been sold? I'd love to watch the, the Bohemians against the Shamrocks uh, derby, but I've never heard of it being aired. Thank you, and up the toffees. So JB... Yeah, I'm pretty sure this one is not available anywhere legally in the United States, unfortunately. But uh, Bohemians Against Shamrocks uh, would definitely be a fun one to watch for sure. Yeah. Chris uh, uh, Guardiano uh, says, with regard to MLS moving to streaming, I don't see it happening for the next few years, largely because many clubs still rely on local TV deals with either regional sports networks uh, or local over-the-air stations to grow their fan bases, although more clubs are moving to streaming deals. Uh, this is especially the case in markets in which MLS is struggling to compete with the Big Four, NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL. For fans both on TV and in the stands and in the new markets, for example, Nashville, if fans aren't allowed in the stands in the majority of markets by the time next season starts, I would expect this trend to continue, although it isn't uh, sustainable long term because of the fact that more people are cutting the, cutting the cord, which makes it all the more important that MLS gets their next TV deal rights uh, rights for the long term future of the league. So, yep, good points there, but uh, it looks more and more that um, I mean these regional sports networks. I mean, I think who is it this week that announced that? Um, I think it was um, YouTube TV announced that they were losing um, or they they dropped uh, the NESN, which is what the New England New England Sports Network, and I think there was another major um, streaming provider too that that had dropped um, the the regional sports networks. So it, this seems to be a thing of the past, is at least the way things are heading. And and the next deal too with Major League Soccer, it may be a nationwide deal where to watch your games in the local markets it might be streaming only it might be an espn plus where they have the rights to uh nationally and locally perhaps we'll have to wait and see on that one 
Adolfo says, I really enjoy your podcast, but really don't see the extremely high praise you see in ESPN's soccer coverage. I like uh, Craig Burley and Sebastian Salazar and Hercules Gomez, uh, who should be on TV um, more than he has been. The rest are either smug, uh, Ale Moreno, or especially Twelman uh, come to mind, or just say things that any podcast or so-called soccer expert says on any soccer coverage. It's more banter than substance, and to me, they are preparing to be major players for Premier League rights when they are up for a bid. If they do get the Premier League rights, uh, all this so-called wonderful coverage of Bundesliga Serie A uh, would play second fiddle to the Premier League. Which is true. I mean, that's 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 the big kahuna on the soccer side um, that they're going after. I'm I'm sure they're going to put a bid in for that. If they get that one, then it's it's story. I mean, it's the end of the story for a lot of these um, streaming services that are trying to get rights to these major games. So, you mean, but then again, Peacock. I mean, with the number of subscribers uh, increasing and uh, more and more games too. Adding to Peacock, even this Sunday's uh, Man City Liverpool game, Kartik is going to be exclusive to Peacock. Maybe Peacock says, "Hey, you know, I mean, is there a way for us to work out this where we can actually uh, make enough money off this? Um, I mean, get the rights and be able to um, kind of you know, get more millions more subscribers." I don't think so, but yeah, that, that, I mean, there's definitely that's the, definitely the name of the game there too. What, what about the comments, Kartik, about ESPN's co- soccer coverage? I, I know you're a big fan. I enjoy the banter. I enjoy yeah. getting to know Dan Thomas through through television and streaming and ESPN Plus and the back and forth. And uh, uh, Alejandro Moreno has grown on me the last few years just from him, yeah. kind of the the back and forth and. I feel like I know him better than I have done, say, a few years ago, where he was more maybe serious about uh, his coverage. Yeah, and I think uh, Moreno is now perfectly blunt because he's he's looser and he he feeds off of Dan Thomas's ho- uh, questioning and hosting to where uh, he he gets right to the to the to the brass tacks right of things and, and, yep. and says it, tells it like it is in a way that I don't think he did when he first came on the show right you're right he was more serious and uh, sometimes hit the mark sometimes missed it I, I agree obviously Hercules Gomez is fantastic uh, Seb Salazar as well but and, and Craig Burley as, as you mentioned I think Twelman and uh, and Moreno may be acquired taste for a lot of people, but Twelman goes beyond kind of your cookie cutter analysis. I, I would disagree with the fact that he says what any soccer analyst would say. He he, he studies players and player movements and, and those sorts of things really in a way that meant very few others on American television do. And he's really good at discussing that. And, and he, and, and, and his match prep is pretty, uh, pretty extensive and pretty, uh, and he's very opinionated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the flow of the show, the banter is there, and maybe for some people it, it, it's too much, and they don't they don't like that style. But I think Dan Thomas does a good job of mixing the banter with some serious discussion. And we'll say this: I'm not, I wasn't a fan of them taking the show off of cable and putting it on ESPN Plus. But because it's on ESPN Plus, they're not at a fixed time anymore, right? They're generally this, this the, the they generally 
are at the same amount of time each day, but they're not fixed. So there is some uh, ability for, for, for Thomas to work in the banter uh, without the overkill of it killing the analysis, which sometimes I will admit happened every now and then on the shows that were on ESPN2 or on ESPN News. So I, I think there's a there's a better balance of that now because they have the extra thing. And then you don't uh, – because they have the, 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 the ability on ESPN Plus to do a little more – take a little more time. And then in terms of extra time, uh, which they also uh, air, if you want to watch it through on ESPN plus that's more bantery, but they also ask some pretty serious questions from, from viewers and, and, and give some answers. And, and you, that's optional. You can, you can turn it off before extra time comes on. All right. And then the last point of uh, feedback on the episode is from Bob and Bob says uh, with regards to CBS all access, Last season, within a short time of the final whistle, replays were available on Amazon Prime, which I prefer to watch there um, than on uh, CBS.com. This season seems to be all over the board as to when matches are available on Prime. Do you know if that has anything to do with technical issues they're experiencing? Also, despite disabling adblock and refreshing my browser, Champions League matches on uh, CBS.com give me an error code. And no error codes for TV or movies on CBS.com. Uh, Only Champions League and Europa League, as far as I can tell. I'm really annoyed by CBS so far this season, and I'm ready to cancel and just watch uh, the games in Spanish on Tuduene. Can you shed any light on these issues? So the error code that you're getting, it may be... I mean, you, you mentioned the ad blocker, so I don't know if you have... Um, uh, any anything else running too, whether it's a VPN or, or maybe it's another different type of ad blocker or a browser that has the ad blocker. It, it it sounds like that it could be an issue on on that side of things. Where I mean, I haven't had any error codes or anything like that. Uh, no problems there. Um, what I would recommend, Bob, is definitely um, when you log into CBS All Access, go to the support section. And go ahead and, and send them a, um, an email or a message and let them know what you're experiencing because it might be something that's a quick fix. Um, this particular issue I'm not familiar with, but I'm sure they'd be more than uh, happy to help you out uh, there. All right, all right listeners, uh, we want you to have your say. So we welcome your feedback. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, let us know what questions, observations, uh, things you disagree with, etc. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, uh, before we uh, close this show, um, the game of the weekend coming up this weekend ha- has to be De Classica, right? It has to be Der Classica. Well, it could be Manchester City, Liverpool, but uh, Der Classica is where, where I'm going. ESPN Plus has a lot of uh, has some extensive coverage plans and some neat things they're going to be doing around the match, so I would check that out uh, if I were the f- uh, fans. And again, that platform gives them a, a lot of uh, ability to do some e- extra things around uh, these sorts of big matches that you can't do on linear television. So yeah, I'll, I'll go with the De- Classica. All right, I'm going with Man City Liverpool only because De Classica always seems to to disappoint Kartik. It's like one of those things expectations really high. And then it ends up being like a 5-0 victory for Bayern Munich. Yeah. Um, but they, you never know, right? You never know. Like, like uh, was it uh, Peter Drury said, uh, ne- ne- never prejudge a soccer game. Uh, you, mean, you never know what's going to happen. So I'll, I'll watch yeah. both of them. 
yeah, the reason I, I'm not going with Manchester City Liverpool is I think Manchester City are dire to watch this season. And Pep, to his credit, and, and people who follow me on Twitter know how critical of him I've been, but uh, to his credit, I think he's, he has employed a more pragmatic approach. Jesus is back, so maybe you'll see a little more open play, but uh, City, since signing Ruben Diaz, has become stronger at the back, and they're playing like it, right? They're, they're they, they, If you think this is going to be like the Southampton Villa game, match, it's not going to. And I think similarly, Liverpool without Van Dyke. I mean, Jota has come into the team and just done fantastically midweek, also again this week. But um, I, I just don't think the, the 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 excitement value is there for those sides this season, uh, like there was in the past. So heading into a new weekend of soccer from around the world, including Major League Soccer, the final day of the regular season uh, for most most of the clubs, as well as of course the the German well, the, the German uh, De Classica, Man City, Liverpool, and many many other matches. Uh, what are you going to do, Kartik, and what should listeners do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>